Hello, I am Sarah Vine and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Mail Plus. I am joined this week, as every week, by my friend and co-host Imogen Edwards-Jones, who is still, after 7,000 weeks, in Ibiza. How are you, Imogen? (laughs) I am fine. I am fine. It is hot, hot, hot. That is the problem. It's 44 degrees. So, uh, yes, everyone is quite short-tempered and crabby. I think crabby is the word, yes. Yeah, no, 44 degrees is not fun, actually. No, well, we've got no air conditioning in, in my tiny house up the hill so there's basically a queue to pop yourself in the fridge you're moving <laughs> over the, the chopped ham and parking your buttocks above the asparagus <laughs> anyway coming up on today's show a feminist campaigner will try and talk to me into why women should be allowed into the men's only garrick club garrick is in trouble again for being men's only i personally think it's fine i really do think so they should just be allowed to rot in peace anyway and then we've got dame tanny gray thompson of course the paralympics are about to start and are you still getting your makeup tips from instagram to be honest i never did get my makeup tips from instagram i got them from the boots <laughs> counter but anyway apparently that's all wrong because now tiktok is the place to get uh, your beauty tips and hannah betts is going to join us to explain why and last but not least Teresa chung our astrologist is going to explain to us what's going to happen to ben affleck and j-lo and ross and rachel those 90s couples who have suddenly rekindled their romances but first, Afghanistan, where the Taliban has regained control. And of course, even though this is meant to be fun podcast, I do think it's just horrific. And I am, I don't know, I wrote quite a big piece on Sunday about this, about saying, you know, it's just unbelievable that America and to an extent this country as well have just turned turn their back on all of those people who are now going to have a, lives are going to be destroyed by the Taliban, who are a terrible 7th century medieval bunch of lunatics basically mm, I think the footage has been extraordinary as well the, the footage, footage has been extraordinary seen of, and the bodies falling out of planes <sighs> and, and all also, those poor terrified people in the in the yeah. aeroplanes being rescued it's, it's like Saigon it in is. 1975 all over it again is. isn't it and also Biden, who wangs on endlessly about how much he cares about, you know, international women's rights and all this kind of stuff. You know, he's just basically put the country back into a situation where girls are not going to be able to go to school. Women are not going to be able mm. to leave the house on their own. Everyone's going to have to wear a burqa. Um, I was told, you know, that they're beheading women who run beauty salons. I mean, the whole thing is just it's just horrific. I mean, basically, as far as women's rights are concerned, it's a sort of it's a it's a disaster zone. And yet, you know, this is a democratic president who supposedly believes in all this kind of stuff. The hypocrisy is just unbelievable. Does it I guess women's rights don't matter when they're not voters in America. I suppose that's the thing to say. You know, they're poor women in in Afghanistan who don't have a voice. So let's just let them, you know. And the thing is, it does matter because Afghanistan was never about colonization or you know westernization. It was only ever about holding back the tide of mm. these crazy people. And it does matter because this is not a million miles away from our lives. And, you know, I would die in a ditch before I let my daughter be treated like that. You know, I mean, they were talking about this is, you know, this is what Malala got shot in the head for. So I think this stuff is really serious. And I think it really is a feminist issue, actually. I mean, it's very important from a woman's point of view. I mean, I know that translators and all that kind of stuff are very important. But as women, we need to really make a noise. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I am. Um, I also. I mean, I took. You know that my very best friend spent a long time uh, in Afghanistan, and mm. the level of brutality of what they're capable of is quite extraordinary. And I think that the sort of 
the dehumanization mm. of them as a as a as a gang as a sort of a jihad is is mm. extraordinary. I mean, my great friend Sean Langan spent you know uh, four months in captivity and he was threatened with mock executions every day and you know when he finally got out he was you know he physically looked like half the man that he was mm. and I do think we owe the translators and all the people who worked hard and helped try and mm. rebuild Afghanistan I do think we owe them to, owe it to them to take uh, to get them out of course we do because there's no there's no knowing of what what they what will happen to them if they get left behind? No, I mean, they I mean will the brutality is stunning. Yeah, but not just yeah. killed, and also all these sort of human rights abuses. I mean, no one is safe from these people. They mm. are. It is a hard line, you know, religious, very backward religious cult, and they don't believe in human rights on any level. And all of the things that you know we stand for as the West, just just they just think they're laughable. I mean, there was one piece of footage with some female interviewer asking them, you know, would they consider having a woman in their government? And they just collapse into giggles because they just find the concept of women being anything other than either, you know, sex objects. Or clean, they just or, chattels, yeah, basically. They just find it completely laughable. I mean, they just don't mm. understand it at all. Yeah, I just, I just, I, what I find is the level of the, the brutality is just quite yeah. extraordinary. The idea that you can chop somebody's fingers off because they've got nail varnish on. Yeah. Uh, the level of cruelty is, I mean, you know, our, our, our imaginations are useless in comparison to the stuff that they can come up with. No. And it's sort of, it's the level of, uh, of sort of insanity uh, that, that, is, that is what is so disturbing, I think. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's basically the Spanish Inquisition, but you know, different a different brand, isn't it? I mean, it's just oh, yeah. horrific. I don't know. I sort of, I sort of feel it puts everything a bit in perspective. Mm. I don't know. I think we we all sort of, uh, you know, we all get very wound up about a lot of things, but then, <laughs> you know, we've got all our arms and legs, and we're not living in Afghanistan. <laughs> so I think yes, something, indeed. you know, very lucky. I don't know what will happen. The Brits can't go back in, really, unless the Americans do, because we just don't have the firepower. I don't have the firepower, I agree. But I also do think we have a commitment to 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 getting as many people here as we can cope with. Yeah, um, I agree. I think that's Im important that we do our sort of civic world duty and don't turn our back. No, exactly. Well, that's that decided then. We <laughs> shall inform the authorities. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The Garrick is one of the oldest members-only club in the world and it remains open to men only, although women can go in if accompanied by a gentleman, as it has been for 190 years. But campaigners, this time it's Cherie Blair, hope to sway the club, which is a hub for the legal industry, to change its ways. Now, I have been a guest many times and to be quite honest, I don't understand why any woman would want to join the Garrick. <laughs> it is actually full of old farts talking about it things is. like grouse shooting and, um, I don't know, boring things like 18th century politicians. And I sort of see it as a kind of harmless anomaly in the modern world. And I think it should just be allowed to gently rot in peace. But... I know that lots of women feel differently. And one of them is Julie Bindle, who is here to change my mind. So tell me why I'm wrong. Well, you know, like you, I don't care to be in groups of boring men. And mm. quite frankly, they're welcome to their fun and games. But this is about the law and it's about the normative effect of having established and official men-only spaces. 
you can't exclude you can't exclude an oppressed group and women albeit that many of us are extremely uh, high flying and powerful as a class as a sex class we still are discriminated against and are unequal in relation to men so actually a men only club is a bit like having a white only club and it's just unacceptable and women admitted as guests are seen as appendages it kind of further entrenches the notion that we need some kind of chaperone a bit like the kind of man standing up when the lady comes to the table i mean it's not my priority as a feminist but it still gives a message that women are lesser than men it is of course a breach of the equality act 2010 and this is an act that is breached on a regular basis that's why feminists are always going in and out of court including i think a couple of years ago about the Garrett Club and whether or not it was legally able to maintain its men-only status. And that's because women are seen as unimportant when it comes to upholding things like legislation that protects our rights as a sex class. It's also, of course, in terms of the, the, the upper class, very highly privileged male professionals that go there, it enables them to form a boys club of judges, of barristers, of QCs. That means that women are kept out of that kind of game. But isn't it the case that you could have a female-only institution and it wouldn't be against the law? And you, like I mean, gyms, there are, for example, aren't there, there are women-only gyms only, and there, spas there, and things like that? Yeah, there like are women-only places, aren't there? There are women-only spaces and that's allowed. I mean, it, I just think that sometimes men do need their own space. I mean, I, I you know, I mean, I, I take all of your points. You're absolutely right about all of that. But I don't think that the Garrick is the ditch to die in, if you see what I mean. I agree. But I think that it's, a, it's about male privilege, whereas women only ventures are not about female privilege. Now, it's about the law. I'm absolutely with you when you say that this is not the hill to die on and this isn't a priority for feminists. God, no, it isn't. But this isn't a level playing field. Women can have their clubs, men can have theirs. It reeks of male privilege that is entrenched in the law, entrenched in society, entrenched in the political system. And if you think about, well, if I think about where I grew up, in a very working class community in the northeast of England. There were men only spaces there. They were called work men's clubs. Now it's very different from the Garrick, a million miles away, but it's the same kind of thing. Because actually what used to happen was the men, my dad was a steel worker, he used to get his wages in a brown paper envelope. And he, like all the other men, used to go to the pub on a Friday night and spend most of their wages. Now, my dad was a bit more considerate, but there was always a queue of women standing outside this bar that they weren't allowed to go into, asking if they would save enough money to feed the kids for the week. And I remember going, I'm 59 now, I remember going when I was well into my 30s to visit my parents. We went up to the working men's club for old time's sake, and I went to the bar and I was not allowed to buy a drink because I'm a lady, if only they knew. And in fact, when I tried <laughs> to buy a pint of beer not for me i've got better taste now but when i tried to buy a pint of beer they gave me a half pint glass because they thought it was about the lady would drink from it but it's just entrenched sexism Mm. Yes, Actually, do you know I what? Do you know what? Mm. You you may have just convinced me with that last bit. I think <laughs> I think that was more convincing than all the very very serious stuff about equality. I think you're right, probably actually. But um, I, I in that case, let's join the Garrick. Yes, let's all join the Garrick. Come on, Julie, let's sign up. Go on. <laughs> that was feminist campaigner Julie Bindle, and she did change Vine's mind. <laughs> 
You are listening to the Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine, and Imogen Edwards-Jones. You can visit maleplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces, and more. And if you want to get in touch, tweet us at maleplus or me at WestminsterWag. It's already been a huge summer of sport, but it's not over yet. The Paralympian Games get underway on the 24th of August and Great Britain is expected to do well. So what does it take to be a Paralympian? Well, who better to ask than one of our greatest ever, Tanny Gray Thompson, who is the winner of 16 medals across five Paralympics, including 11 goals. So she knows just what it takes to win. Tanny, thanks so much for talking to us. I just wanted to talk to you a bit about athletes' mental health. There's been a lot about Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka and everyone seems to have an opinion. I don't really have an opinion because I'm not an athlete, so I've no idea what it feels like to try and do that Olympia. Although I have to say, I did think that um, the one person who seems to have got it sorted is sweet little Tom Daly, who just does all his knitting. Oh, yes. <laughs> I know. He's so sweet. He just sits there and oh, knitting away. It's obviously... It's so sweet. It was obviously his way of dealing with the stress. I mean, I've no idea if that's why he does it, but I mean, I do. I sometimes do knitting to deal with stress. As someone who's actually been there and done it, tell us what it's like and and what your view is about it, Danny. There are so many different levels of pressure. You know, Mm. with somebody like Simone Biles, people were hanging the medals around her neck before she got to the games, and she was going to be the most successful gymnast in history, and she was going to do this uh, move on the vault that no one had ever attempted, and they were going to name it after her. and, and so that's one level of pressure. There's definitely pressure in terms of sponsorship and media coverage and how it's reported back in the States. Um, you know, gymnastics has been through a really horrible time and she was one of the athletes that, you know, experienced abuse. So, and, and she experienced the gymnastics experience abuse at the Olympics. So there's all these things that just layer on top of each other. And if you take into a British context, you know, the athletes know if they don't perform, their sport is unlikely to get funding for the next four years. So it's not just the personal funding, it's the funding for the countries and the programme and everything else. So um, for someone like Simone, you know, it's pretty multi-million dollars we're resting on her winning several gold medals. I think maybe social media plays a big part. I mean, do you think it's changed? Do you think social media has changed it? Because you talk about the expectations and the fact that everyone is already hanging medals around her neck. And so, you know, high expectations always lead to disappointment, don't they? I mean, that's the truth is, you know, if you lower your expectations in life, the happier you tend to be. Um, And all this pressure coming from social media. And then I think there's also just quite a lot of unpleasant stuff out on social media, especially aimed at, in, in Simone's case, because she's a woman of colour, mm. I imagine that yeah. that sort of adds, adds an extra layer. I mean, mm. you didn't have to deal with that, did you, when you were doing it? No, which is great, actually, because as much as, you know, I know the British team are quite strict with the athletes. As they go into competition, they're told to delete the apps from their phone and, and not post and, you know, just try and concentrate. It's really hard. If you've seen some things, and it's not just somebody saying, I think you're a bit daft or why did you do that? I mean, it's, it's, it's actually hatred. And, you know, there are mm. female athletes that have had death threats and rape threats. Um, I do think the pandemic has changed. I mean, I've come off social media in, in the pandemic because you tweet something which is sort of fairly innocuous and this barrage that comes back. So, I mean, I, I did have it slightly differently. So in, in Athens, which was my final Paralympics, my 800 meter strongs event, been unbeaten for years and years and years, went into the final, screwed up. Um, I remember leaving the track and every British supporter walked past me and said, you lost. You go, yeah, no, I was there. They didn't say, well done, hooray, you did a brilliant job and um, we're sorry you've lost. No, well, I came seventh, which is 
not what anyone was expecting what's, me to do. What's and, wrong uh, with people? <laughs> um, I mean, the thing is, I, I watch sport on TV. I watch things and, you know, I think, oh, I like their jacket or I don't like their jacket or why did they do that? I don't mm. then have this compulsive need to scream in the ether of social media and, and threaten people because they've done something wrong. But I, I think that's where social media has changed. And it's, sort of this, it's been this evolution that it's, it's actually, in some cases, it's, it's quite nasty. I mean, I, I started using it because it was useful to connect to people, get information and see pictures of cats and children doing cute things. Um, mm. And it's, it's so far away from that at the moment. Have, have you seen this, the new Channel 4 slogan for this, for this, Olympic, this Paralympics Games, which is, something has to be wrong with you to be a Paralympian. Did you see that? Yeah, and it's it produced quite mixed views from disabled people. Yeah, I know. I wondered what you thought of it. I, I quite liked it, and then I suddenly thought, hmm, maybe I don't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's got, so it's, mixed, it's got a mixed reception, has it? Yeah, it has. So, I mean, it, it, it challenges people's views, but then I've had mm. quite a lot of disabled people write to me to say a complete stranger has stopped them in the street and said, so what's wrong with you then? Oh, and, see, and that's yeah. the question I used to be asked when I was a child, which I haven't actually mm. been asked for quite a long time. So mm. it, it's actually it's quite complicated. Who's the target audience? Is it disabled people? Is it non-disabled people? Is it is it sort of, you know, trying to encourage people to watch? I think it is. Um, but, but there's always quite a fine line in, in terms of perception of, of how these things are sort of taken and received. Mm. I think that's, you know, it's the sort of slogan that if you are a disabled person and you feel comfortable saying that, then that's fine. But I don't think it's for, I'm not sure it's for, for someone who's not disabled, who hasn't experienced mm. the challenges to say it, if you see what I mean. Mm. You know, we can all laugh at ourselves for our own sort of oddities, mm. but, but mm. it's not okay always for other people to do it. I mean, I get treated three very distinct ways. One is an ex-athlete, which is quite nice. One is a parliamentarian, which is quite mixed. And then the third is a disabled woman. And so as a disabled woman, I experienced a reasonable amount of low-level discrimination. So when I was pregnant, I lost count of the number of people who said to me, people like you shouldn't be allowed to have children. And my response to that is, what, Welsh people? <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, Tani, as uh, I've had that said to me, but in a totally different context, as someone who's married to a conservative um, yeah. minister, I was told I wasn't, shouldn't be allowed to have children. I mean, people do say yes. horrendous things, don't they? Yeah, they do. Uh, but... Um, I think sports um, being in Parliament's helped me deal with it, to be honest. But um, mm. yeah, it, it's we, we there is still more we need to do to make sure disabled people have genuine inclusion in society. And you know, we might never get there, but we can probably be a bit better than we are. Yes, right, and yeah. the, and of course the Paralympics, you know, they really do show what is. I don't know. I look at Olympians and I think, how the hell do they do that? And then I look at mm. Paralympians, and they just look like you know gods i mean i don't know you know i could mm. most of the most of the challenges that they're trying to overcome i couldn't overcome you know in my ordinary life let alone in an olympic capacity yeah that's true i was going to ask who who you fancy for medals not that we're going to put any pressure on anybody but who oh. do you think might do well this uh this time round well i have to say i am usually the kiss of death with any athlete oh. who I think <laughs> going to do well uh, i i used to do um, something for one of the national newspapers on a year predicting who was up and coming for next year and i think there were seven years in a row that whoever i named they completely failed so oh, i'm a bit no, careful okay. about doing that i know um so uh swimming and athletics will be expected to deliver a big chunk of the medals because they're the big sports there's you know so many opportunities to win medals there's there's a bit of an internal competition between swimming and athletics because we both think mm. we're the better sport which yeah, is all really funny um, and it's a, it's a bit like sibling rivalry. Um, 
you know, if, if somebody from another country was rude about a British swimmer, I would defend them to death. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't stop me kind of thinking that athletics is better than swimming. Anyway. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, it's funny. Um, women's basketball could, mm-hmm. you know, pull something out of the bag. Um, there's, they've been, uh, you know, lockdown's been quite hard on their training, but yeah, they're, they're in a really good place. Um, yeah, do you know what? It, I think what we're going to see in these games, a bit like the Olympics, we're going to see some really unusual medals because mm. we're going to see people, uh, you know, that made the games this year that would have been too young or not good enough last year. Mm. We're going to see some who we would have expected to win, not make the team um, mm. because it, the, the extra year was just a bit too much. But that's obviously um, part of the pressure. And that's why, I mean, I have to say when Simone Biles said that she was retiring from whatever it was she was trying from she then came back i didn't i didn't my first reaction wasn't at all to be cross with her it was just to think well you know it's her life it's her decision if she can't cope and doesn't feel she can cope then she shouldn't have to cope i mean i don't understand why everyone is so hysterical about it it's a medal table so um because so the u.s is the only yeah, and the, the US yeah. is the only country that does it differently. So they do it on total medals. Mm. Every other country in the world does it gold medal. So a silver oh, only counts okay. when there's a tie for gold, and a bronze only counts when there's a tie for gold and silver. So on a personal level, you might be really happy that you've won a silver medal, but it doesn't really count for the team. So it's gold medals. Um, and the IUC say, you know, the, the medal table is sort of not meant to be official. It's about countries coming together and participating, and, but it's the medal table. Um, because there's a lot of soft politics. I always say there's more politics in sport than politics. So when I transferred from sport to politics, it was actually easier. <laughs> you know, so because um, there is so much politics in sport. So, um, yeah, it's it's um, especially when, you know, with Simone Biles, when she talked about getting twisties where she lost where she was in space. I mean, you spin me around twice and I start feeling sick. So I can't exactly. even imagine She's what doing it would like. Of, yeah. I mean, what she's doing is already off the scale of, I mean, it's already at the edge of what humans are capable of, I think. I mean, yeah. I don't know. And like I said, I'm not, sadly, not an Olympic athlete, nor will I. Nor, <laughs> no. Nor will I really? Anyway, thank you so much, Tani. I shall look forward to watching those uh, Paralympics. That was Tani Gray-Thompson, Paralympic gold medalist. Should older women be taking makeup tips from teens on TikTok? From euphoria-inspired neon lipsticks to flipping the traditional cat eye to create a dramatic new look, Gen Z aren't playing by the beauty rules. And the Daily Mail's new columnist, Hannah Betts, says it's exactly what we women of a certain age need. She joins me now. Now, Hannah, I must confess, I have never taken any beauty tips from the internet. No, neither have I. Imogen no. and I are basically <laughs> eyeliner and lippy in the back of a cab. Yeah. I mean, I do watch the odd sort of insane contouring tutorial just for a laugh. And then I quite like those girls who turn themselves into monsters, you know, with all the special mm. effects stuff. And also makeup looks on the Internet. They're not designed for real life because... There's so much contouring and weirdness. If you actually went outside looking like that... People would laugh. Yeah, they would well, laugh. I'm well, very <laughs> glad you both said that because yeah. I put it to you, dear friends, that that was Instagram. Okay. And TikTok oh. is different because oh. Instagram was all sort of ghastly Kardashian, freakily perfect, 78-step contouring mm. mania. And pretty grim, and no one wants to look like that. I mean, in real life, those people look crazy. 
yeah. as Viney says. But TikTok is much more young, fun. You know, the, these people are sort of 20, 18, and they're just enjoying it. And mm. I, I don't know if you saw Euphoria, which I loved. Um, but obviously everyone got terribly outraged about it. Possibly I love it because I don't have children. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> I don't yes. have to worry about any of that. But their makeup was beautiful. And I have to say, I did go and fiddle about with um, exciting eyeliner. And, you and know, glitter. There's, there was a lot of glitter in your glitter, wasn't yeah. there? And, um, and there was a lovely um, May Musk shoot a couple of years ago where she did a lot of color, and it looked amazing next to gray hair. Mm. You know, she did sort of red and pink eyes and black lips and mm. blue, everything else. She looked sensational. I mean, they do those weird transitions where they sort of put, you know, put their makeup brush in the camera and then they take it off and then they're all super duper. I hate all that. I find yeah. that exhausting. And <laughs> wiggly dances. Wiggly. And, and everything has to jump. be done to music. Can, yeah, no. no, I'm not into that. Mm. Um, the, the only thing, Hannah, the only thing, Hannah, is it's all very well having, you know, pink eyeliner and mm. uh, sort of turquoise eyeshadow like we did when sort of in the Boy George era. But But, you know, if you're over the age of about 20... You can't 17. really wear any of that. No. Twelve. I, I think I think one can. I mean, I'm always doing it. Hannah, Hannah, eyelids. Hannah, you can. You can. You you can. No. We can't. Um, but seriously, I, I I also I miss I miss I do miss, and this is partly COVID related, but I do miss going to a beauty counter and mm, mm. having a chat with someone whose foundation is four shades darker than it should be. I just like that human contact. I like women talking about makeup together. It's just a fun thing. It's, it's a joy, it's, isn't it's it? A joy. I agree with you. It's a great bonding thing. Mm. This is why everyone needs to go to Kiko or Barry M yes. and spend small amounts of money yes. on mm. pink, yellow, orange and green things. There's a yes. wonderful, I put it in the column, I'm sure no reader has bought it, but there's a wonderful <laughs> Neon Brights eyeshadow palette. It's seven ninety nine. What price Ooh. happiness. Where from? It's from Barry M. Oh, I love Barry wonderful, M. Um, yeah. Well, do, do you know it was named after Barry Manilow because they thought that was classy? Um, oh, that's genius. It is classy. What are you talking about? Barry Manilow is very classy. He's the walrus of love. No, that's Barry Whitehouse. Oh, sorry, getting confused. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, yes, no, Barry Manilow is definitely not the walrus of love. Not He's... the walrus of love, no. though. <laughs> He's is... Coco Cabana, darling. He is Coco Cabana. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was Hannah Betts, the Daily Mail's new beauty columnist on a Monday. So, Imogen, you may be having a sense of déjà vu at the moment because apparently we have now returned to the nineties. Um, J Lo and Ben Affleck, yes, Presby. J Lo and Ben Affleck are back on, and the people from Friends are back on. I can't remember which ones, but some of them. And apparently, teenagers are wearing all the nineties fashions, and mm -hmm. even pop stars such as Lord and Dua Lipa, mm -hmm. which I'm sure you've heard of, are openly Both of referencing. Them. <laughs> are openly referencing 90s and 2000s pop stars as inspiration for their new albums. So mm. we are going to be joined by Teresa Chung, who knows everything about everything <laughs> that is to do with the, in, with, the, with the astrological things, to tell us yeah. why we've gone back to the 90s. I mean, I'm quite happy because I, I rather like the 90s. I was A, young, B, mm. thin, mm. C, didn't have loads of teenage children to look after, which was nice, mm. uh, or dogs. <laughs> 
I'm so excited <laughs> you talk about this, but you're going to have to keep a straight face when I kind of explain to you why okay. the 90s are coming back right. right now. It's all about Saturn entering Uranus. Right? <laughs> and I <don't>... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. What is it? You're such a baby. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I knew this was going to happen. I knew as soon as I saw, oh, how am I going to do it? I am such a baby. Because Saturn Saturn returns every 29 to 30 years. And in the early 90s, we had Saturn entering Aquarius Uranus. And it was a wildly exciting time because the World Wide Web was starting, female priests. Nelson Mandela won the Peace Prize. Um, Amazon.com was founded. All this innovation. And Saturn, you see, is the teacher, the disciplinarian. But Aquarius and Uranus are about massive shifts and new beginnings. So it makes sense now, 30 years later, when we're back in that, that we're having massive shifts. And what people tend to do when they're having big, massive shifts in their life, they tend to reflect back to the time before when Saturn was there 30 years prior. That's why it's happening. It's so classic. And the millennials, of course, who were born in the early early 1990s, they will be having their first life, big life crisis, as you tend to have at 2930. And it's all about the Saturn return. That's why, you know, 2930 in most people's lives is a big transition. Yeah. And then it can, happens again as you get close to 60. These are big, massive shifts. So astrologically, it makes absolute sense why the 90s are back um, because of Saturn entering Aquarius Uranus at that time. <laughs> do, you, do you think, so, so are you, basically, sorry, I can't stop laughing when you, every, every, every time you say Saturn <laughs> entering Aquarius, I just go. Um, but, Can I give you your Aries 90s song? I want it that way, the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really remember her dancing to that one, to be fair, Teresa. That wasn't really her tune. Libra, let me just wanna be Spice Girls. Oh yeah. Oh, that I was hated that song. No, but but, it's per, but but you but of course you hated the song. Everyone hated the song. But yeah. yes, I know it's, 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 it's the ethos of it. You know, anything's possible. Like, yes. You know, I, I want, tell me what we want. Oh, that's probably true. Yes. Yes. And I seem to remember Imogen. You did mm. like to sing a cigar. I did, whatever that is. <laughs> you did. You did a lot of ziggy cigaring as I as I did I a lot of that. It. But uh, Teresa, does that mean basically the history repeats itself every thirty years? So it does, because that's because you see, and I, it's such a neglected element. Everybody focuses on the sun sign, and then there's a bit more awareness of the rising sign and the moon sign, which is emotion. But the fourth part of the celestial square is Saturn. You've got to look where Saturn is in your chart because Saturn is your teacher, your challenge, mm. and the way you learn and grow. Mm. And so right now, that's why it's such an important time for people who are born in the early 1990s they will be having their first full-on satin return it's a big crisis where change needs to happen and they will reflect on everything that they've done so far in their lives and where are they going because and that will happen again you know at 16 at 90 because 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 the 90s <laughs> the 90s was very much uh, referencing the 60s which was swinging london if you remember yeah. and there was yeah. liam gallagher and patsy kenzett on the front cover of vanity fair covered in the union jack Absolutely. And that was, and that referenced the 60s. Yeah. So swinging London was, so, so is it every 30 years we just go back to the, back to the 60s? Well, 
we go back with a bit more knowledge and a bit hopefully with a bit more wisdom right. than we had in the past mm. and we can reflect and learn from it you know hindsight is such a great teacher isn't it and you know that's what life is it's constant constant learning and growth and that happens so every 30 years yeah there's a real moment of big big life crisis and reflection that is common to us all mm. well i'm quite excited about the night is coming back i think image and i might have to celebrate that with a cosmopolitan Oh, yes, that is a yeah. super drink. Let's have that. <laughs> <laughs> that was our resident astrologer, Teresa Chung. I got, I'm still laughing about the, the joke about you, Darling, yes. I, I know it's not funny, try. is it? It's really no. not. No. 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 <laughs> if you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts videos, opinion pieces and more. And if you want to get in touch, tweet us at MailPlus or me at Westminster Wag. You have been listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine and Imogen Ogles-Jones. Thank you for listening. Hold up. 